What is a smart city? Our civilization has reached a point where we can no longer think bigger. We now have to think smarter. All around the world, there are transformative cities doing incredible things, and it's time to sit up and listen. It's time to make a difference for ourselves and for our planet. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Smart City Diaries, the podcast that is definitely not being hosted by cryptids. I'm Anna Acosta, and I'm here with my co-host and lovely mother, Debbie Acosta. Mom, how are things going right now? You see it in the parks. Everyone's getting out. You know, you see people playing soccer, having barbecues in the park again, and it's it's really kind of nice. So that part's really nice. Living in Los Angeles, it's probably pretty skewed because people are outside. I mean... There was no point even at the height of the pandemic where you'd go outside and there was nobody outside because it's just, you know, it's L.A. Weather's really nice. People, they hang out outdoors. But I've definitely noticed that there's a huge uptick. And honestly, I I have conflicting feelings in how I process the way that the world is, you know, coming back or whatever we want to call it, just because, you know, 600,000 people just in this country did die last year. And it does seem like there's this gigantic push to like erase that and to just kind of, okay, that never happened. We don't want to culturally process this massive trauma that we all just went through. We're just, it's hot girl summer and that's no shade to Meg the Stallion, by the way. Like, I love her. I just, the way the internet in general is just like, it's hot girl summer. No one cares. We're just going to go, we're just going to go live our lives to the absolute fullest. And anyone who is not quite ready for that yet is just being dramatic and virtue signaling and doing hygiene theater. And it's, you know, I, I realized that all you said was delivers a lot of people at the park, but clearly I'm having a lot of feelings about this. So. <laughs> I know. And I, I'm, I'm with you about that. I mean, what, as we look around the world, India is suffering tragic losses. Brazil, I think a half a million people have now died there. Our sort of disregard for other parts of the world and the way we're like, okay, we're opening back up now. So we're just going to start willy nilly traveling to South America and places that are still getting hammered by this virus. And non-vaccinated Americans are doing this and people who and it's just, you know, it's very imperialistic. But I digress because you know why? We're going to do the news. We're going to keep this moving and we're going to do the news. But I'm going to tell you about one positive thing that happened this week. So it was really wonderful this week. San Leandro actually had uh, the opportunity to host and I'm going to put my glasses on for this because I can't read small print anymore. Um, we actually were uh, were visited by the Lumination Reservation near Bellingham, Washington. They what they brought with them was a totem pole carved from a 400 year old red cedar, um, and it was carved. The wood carvers, the House of Tear carvers, were actually on hand to explain the point behind the the totem pole and the honoring of Mother Earth and how she is frankly. Um, she is frankly very unhappy and very sad right now. And because we are frankly the pests and, and as the Indian nations are pointing out, we are optional. You know, she can, in fact, get rid of us. Mother Earth will be here and like for a any long other time. species. Yeah. Like any other species. Right. But what was really beautiful was the gathering of the community around the totem. The totem told a beautiful story about starting with at the top of the totem, the uh, Indian man in the moon. They have their own version. If you, And now when I look at it, when it's a full moon, you can actually see the Indian praying for Mother Earth 
there was orcas on it and the eagle, which represents the sky, of course, all the way down to the earth and the flowing of the earth. But what was alternately sad and beautiful at the bottom of it was a grandmother carved with her hands red because she was symbolizing the daughter that was missing and that she couldn't, they couldn't find. And apparently in the Indian nations, um, over the centuries, it's been many, many Indian women have been raped and murdered just because they're vulnerable, right? So this grandmother is mourning her lost daughter and at the same time taking care of her grandchild who is locked in a cage. And of course, that's emblematic of what's happening at the, at the border right now. So there was a lot of sadness, but yet a lot of, um, I think, happiness or at least confidence that Mother Earth, if we take care of her, will take care of us. And I thought it was a really... Um, it was a very powerful moment uh, with the community gathered around singing, different denominations, and just being able to recognize that that we were not the first people not, here. I mean, yeah, not even close. And, <laughs> and there, there's a powerful spiritual um, spiritualness that comes with our indigenous people who have honored the earth from time immemorial. And the good news is that this is not just a San Leandro event. They're taking this beautiful totem pole around the country and sharing the message of um, the indigenous peoples and Mother Earth uh, to various cities around the country. And they'll be ending at the end of July in Washington, D.C., where there'll be a formal presentation to President Biden, Vice President Harris, and Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, who is this country's first Secretary of the Interior, who is a Native American. So uh, the, the sim- symbolism of this is quite extraordinary uh, in an extraordinary time in our country. So it's a very powerful story. Well, wow. All right. All right. Shall we do the so, news? On to a... <laughs> Let's do the news. Oh, wait a minute. Wait She's a minute. never going to let me do the news, folks. Let's, There's no I'm news I'm never going to let you do the news until we talk about what it is that we're going to talk about today. Because it's, it's kind of important. So we're actually going to talk about electrical infrastructure of this country, which is not something that most people think about, right? Electrical infrastructure? What's that? Well, I kind of got involved in it a few years ago here in San Leandro because there was a, there was a study around bringing a microgrid to San Leandro, an energy microgrid. What the heck is that? So I learned a little bit about electricity. And of course, over the last year, we've learned a lot more given some of the breakdowns and the cyber attacks that have been happening on our electric infrastructure. So, and it's really interesting because President Biden has proposed infrastructure plan, right? I'm going to hopefully tell you a little bit, share with you how how the infrastructure works so that you know how to approach your elected officials when this money starts flowing through. Because I guarantee you, you have been, if you haven't been impacted by it yet, you will be in the near future. Is it finally my time? It's finally time for the news. In the news, yes. All right. And I've got some uh, some interesting stories for you today. Let's just dive right in. First up, last month, the Associated Press, and this is what they did when they weren't busy firing young reporters because trust fund babies at Stanford threw temper tantrums. Shout out to Emily Wilder. I'm on your side. Um, set aside some time to report on the great streaming service password sharing crackdown of 2021. 
You probably heard something about this. Netflix, Disney Plus, all of the big streaming services are very upset that evil, mean customers are banding together to share accounts instead of each paying for their own subscription. This is an evil, horrible, mean thing that the customers are doing to these innocent streaming services that are just trying to support their families on their private islands. Um, So we've heard rumblings about this for a while now. An AP reported that password sharing, as they call it, is estimated to cost these companies several billion dollars a year in lost revenue. And so the thing that I actually have a problem with here is we see that framing a lot whenever we're talking about the ways consumers basically figure out how to deal with how abusive and unsustainable our financial system is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's this idea that these mythical lost profits, and then basically I'm guessing the model that they use to project these lost profits assumed that every single person who is sharing an account would immediately go out and subscribe to their own account if they were not able to share, which is just bad math. Like that's not how, because what it does is it doesn't address the reason that this sharing happens. It's not because we're all cheap and lazy. It's because y'all charge too damn much for too many services. And it's just, you don't actually give the market what it can sustain. So the market adapts to that. That's what password sharing is. So no, we are not consuming your customers without whom you do not exist are not costing you billions of dollars by having your product adapt to their lifestyle. They are not costing you anything. That is not revenue. That is lost. Do I get to go to every employer that I uh, applied to jobs for and add up what the salaries would have been and then call that lost revenue? I don't get to do that. That's not how individuals get to do it. So I'm really tired of both the media and our legislators sort of buying into this line These companies are being cost revenue. No, they're not. They're failing to make revenue. It is a very different thing. You're actually getting value by making sure that you have more and more eyes on your product. It's just greed. Yeah. It is just hand over fist greed and this whole idea that the consumer does not have the right to do with your product what they, if they want to give their login that they pay for to their friend, that really is their business. Somebody's Someone, paying it for is it. Being, it is being paid for. And I mean, it's not the days of Netscape anymore, right? Where people were just downloading for free off the internet. Those days are gone. You can't do that. You now have the option to do it legally well, with two subscription what they, services. What they will so. do is they will drive people back to nefarious methods of streaming content. If That's, what, that's so what's going to happen. Best of exactly. luck with that, I'm where, I guess, guys. Um, and the last thing that I want to talk about today is, and it is, it happens to be incredibly appropriate for the main topic of conversation, but I want to talk about what's happening in Puerto Rico, which is something that by and large, uh, Americans do not spend enough time doing considering that they are basically a colonized people at this point. And they're Americans. I mean, they they're are not treated as Americans. But they are allegedly Americans, which so to me, it feels a hell of a lot like anyway, I the the story. story. So specifically Puerto Rico's electrical grid. 
So AP reported that this week, um, I think it was like three days ago by the time we're recording this, actually, a private company, Luma, Luma Energy, presumably at FEMA's behest. FEMA, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, is the federal emergency management agency whose greatest hits include the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and more recently Hurricane Maria, which devastated much of Puerto Rico, including their whole electrical grid in 2017. The island has not recovered. And that is largely because they have not been given the resources to do so anyway. The point about this specific story, uh, the idea is that this private company, Luma, who Puerto Ricans at no point were consulted over hiring, um, will use billions mostly coming from FEMA to upgrade the island's electrical grid, which that part is very much needed. Over the course of this contract, which is 15 years, this company, Luma, will see um, hundreds of millions of dollars in personal profits which, generally speaking, is required to get private companies on board. I won't beleaguer that particular point. But officials think that this company can do better than the existing electric power authority. But critics complain that Luma won't be, according to the agreement, Luma will not be penalized for failing to save money or to meet renewable energy goals. And Puerto Rican consumers on Twitter have been posting screenshots of power bills that seem to have jumped up astronomically immediately following the transfer of the grid's control from the Electric Power Authority to Luma. I'm talking $100 one month to $600 the next for the same house. Shades um, of Texas. Yeah, and again. noted non-Puerto Rican David Skeel, who is chairman of Puerto Rican's Financial Oversight Board, says this move is crucial or, quote, the economy will shrink. Well, it is crucial to get electricity. Yes. There's right, no question about I, that. I thought it was interesting that the quote he, this man provides to the media is that he says it's crucial not because, I don't know, Puerto Ricans need power and because people are having untenable living conditions and because they need basic infrastructure. He said that it is crucial or the economy will shrink. And that really stuck out to me because ain't that just so American? Everything that we're seeing with the push to get back out there, everything that we've been seeing the number of unnecessarily lives lost in the past year and a half have all been because of this obsession with the economy must not shrink. Economies are people. I think that part needs to get said more. Economies are only as good as the people that they sustain. With no people, no economy. So to prioritize, like the Puerto Rican economy will shrink. I kind of feel like that's what the mainland U.S. government is concerned with. And Puerto Ricans on the island who are mourning because of people that they lost and because they lost their homes and their businesses. I think they probably have more immediate concerns than whether the economy like, yes, obviously that is their problem as well, because you have to support yourself. You have to. We live in capitalism. You have to have income so that you can pay your bills. So it's not like I'm saying the economy doesn't matter to Puerto Ricans. Obviously, that would be insane. But to specifically have these government officials who are not Puerto Rican to make this decision on behalf of Puerto Rico. And to not put in and this is something we see from the U.S. all the time to not require that these companies to basically be toothless with actually requiring that these companies do everything that they need to do for a public utility, like make it sustainable, make it renewable, ensure that profits won't come first. And it speaks to the larger issue is 
why are these essential utilities, right? So again, if we go back to the hierarchy of needs, right, your very basic needs are to make sure that you have clean water, you have electricity in today's day and age, that's a bottom line uh, need. That, that all of these essential things that we need for life are privatized. They're owned by prof, profit-making yep. companies. And where, where have we seen that be a problem? Hmm. Hmm. And, <laughs> and that is exactly what the, that is part of the huge problem that we're experiencing in the United States, just with the overall power structure, the electrical grid structure of our country. So that's actually the perfect segue. Thank you, Anna. Didn't know you were going to talk about that. That's the actual, the perfect segue into talking about what we're going to talk about today, which, you know, sounds like a dry subject, electrical infrastructure. But I'll bet you there's not too many of our listeners who haven't been impacted by a shutdown recently for one reason or another or um, because the electrical infrastructure was not serving them well. So I think today I'd, I'd love to talk about, I'd love to talk about just how it works so that our listeners, as these proposed changes come in, they can look in their own cities and understand how it's impacting their city, how it could impact their city, and how they can engage with their city leaders to make sure that that their particular community is part of this change that should be happening. So we're going to start off today's episode with a story. And this is a story about a feud. Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla who were embroiled in a battle now known as the War of the Currents. So Thomas Edison invented a light bulb. We all know that. But unfortunately, there was no systems that could actually light up the bulb. So if you think about it now, we have electrical systems that bring the currents into our home that are able to run everything off electricity. So he made a plug, but nothing to plug it into. Nothing to plug it into. So he invented that thing to plug it into using direct currents. So direct currents basically sends the electricity in a single direction, like just kind of like a battery or a fuel cell. And so during the early days of electricity, direct current was the standard in the US. But there was just one little problem. Direct current is not easily converted to higher or lower voltages. So therefore, what um, Edison's system could not actually, for example, power up a, 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 a a manufacturing plant or an industrial plant or an office building because it was it was not capable right. of doing that. And Tesla, Nikola Tesla, he worked for Edison at that time. He believed that alternating current or AC was the solution to this problem. So, of course, this is a corporate America story. Edison didn't want to lose the value of all of his patents that he'd had in in direct current. So he actually started a misinformation campaign. Sound familiar? To discredit. <laughs> oh, does this sound familiar, right? To discredit alternating current. He spread information saying that alternating current was dangerous and, and even going so far as to publicly electrocute stray animals using alternating current to I'm prove sorry. his point. Uh, wait, I feel like that was just going to get moved on past. Um, did you just say that he used to electrocute animals in the street just for fun right 
Exactly. So, uh, just to demonstrate. So he was a so he's a psychopath. I think. I mean, it's pretty commonly accepted that when people start harming animals for fun, that uh huh, they're you know, there there's an empathy issue in that person's I, hardwiring. Well, exactly. So so this whole That's thing really broke open. Stuff. That's what that is. That's all I'm saying. That's serial killer behavior. <laughs> we don't hear about. We don't hear too much about that in, in Edison's no, story. No, because do they we? usually become serial killers or CEOs. Right. It's fine. Well, in the middle of this war, the Chicago World's Fair happened. Oh yeah. Woo. Oh, this was during the Chicago World's Fair. Man, worlds collide. Nevertheless, there was a competition to see which of those two technologies was going to fire up the exhibition. Well, oh. GE bid. GE bid direct current. For $554,000, ooh, a lot of money. But George Westinghouse, there's another blast from the past, right? Said he could power it for much cheaper using Tesla's technology. So that same year, Niagara Falls decided to award Westinghouse, uh, who had licensed Tesla's AC induction uh, method, motor patent. That was it. Um, from then on, it was written. It was history. Did so Tesla today, ever benefit now... from his own inventions, or did other people? Wow. No. Okay. So no, he died a poor man. Oh, a tale as old as time. Yeah, it's it's a really sad and his, story. And it his really name is. is on a company that's being helmed by Grifter right. Number One. But it's 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 fine, Elon. You're you're fine. But the good news is that his technologies did not die, and in fact, we're starting to now take a look at being able to transmit. In fact, even electricity entered uh, wirelessly. So Tesla is having a second comeback. He didn't he didn't benefit from it in his lifetime, but we certainly know who he is. I hope now. his ghost is happy about it. I hope I hope it makes his ghost feel better. That's all I can. His his technology won the day, and that's how electricity elect using al alternating currents is how electricity is now transmitted to our, all of our homes in the United States. I've learned something. And usually, and pretty much around the world. My gosh, once you have electricity that can flow to your homes, uh, washing machines and toasters and refrigerators. An and No, so the demand, the increased demand for electricity was off the hook, right? So now everybody wanted it. So by 1935, Congress adopted the Public Utility Holding Company Act of 1935. Okay, a little wonky. All these little companies were, were popping up all over the place, and they rec recognized that, like every new technology, there needs to be some regulation on it. And today, those the responsibilities are managed by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. That comes up -E later. FERC. Called FERC. Okay. F-E-R-C. FERC. Right? So they manage the utility systems across the country, at least the, the, over, the regulatory oversight of it. Um, the actual managing of these systems are by... I, typically by independent operators, but we'll talk about that later. So today, yes. guess how our electricity, can you imagine how our electricity is delivered to us? So imagine from where to our homes. How I like does it to get picture there? little gnomes, personally. It, it kind of feels like they could be running through the little wires, but it starts actually at a complex network of power plants. There's like 7,500 power plants across the United States with transmission lines. So transmission lines. So you see those big, 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 huge um, steel towers that have 
four different levels of lines coming yes. in and out of them. They're beautiful. And then there's the distribution lines that bring it into our cities and homes. So more than 7,500 power plants connected by 450,000 miles of high voltage oh God, transmission so lines many. and serves 145 million that's customers. So many miles of, that's so many. <laughs> so we have an entrenched infrastructure. We have an entrenched grid. It's called the U.S. grid. And the interesting part about this, like the Puerto Rico company, it's almost all privately owned. Yay. What could go Can wrong? Can anybody see a chat? <laughs> what could go wrong, right? And oh, since God. large amounts of electricity can't be stored in the current system, it has to be produced so, real time. So question there, is that by design or is that because we have not figured out a way to store it effectively? I'd say efficiently, but we all know that humans don't make decisions based on efficiency. So well, in the beginning, they just, you know, there was so much electricity that was possible. We didn't see so the they need just to didn't store build it. it. But we did. They didn't build batteries. So battery storage is a very new thing. That explains why it costs so much to buy a new battery for your electric car, I guess. Because it's new technology, right? So it the current power distribution system does not store typically does not store energy, does not store electricity, which means the power grid has to be balanced. So for example, residential homes, um, we use most of our energy in the morning that and the sense. evening. At least I'm assuming that right? was impacted a little by work from home. It definitely was, but the, the general, and it will, it will go back much more to that again. But in the middle of the day is when most, for example, solar, the strongest solar energy is, is that because, so there's this oh, imbalance. because that's when the sun is up. I was definitely about that's to overthink when the sun that is one. Up. <laughs> right. No, it's when the okay. sun is up. It's called yeah. the duck curve. You know, it's like the, and it goes like this. It's okay. like this. So, so up till recently, that hasn't been that much of a problem. The electrical grid has been able to handle that. And, and independent service operators across the country are the ones responsible for making sure that everybody gets their needs met. Commercial, industrial, residential. Now, one of the big problems about this is how this electricity is created. So 60% of our energy in this company comes from fossil fuels. And then renewable sources such as water, wind, solar energy, um, biogas. What is biogas? So biogas is, uh, often happens at wastewater treatment plants. So the, there is a lot of methane right now that's generated off of our waste products. So think of all the sludge and everything that goes into a wastewater treatment plant. Increasingly, those are options which are awesome. But the problem of that is, is that instead of one big power plant, those 7,500 power plants across the country, now you've got all sorts of different sources. You've got solar on roof, you've got windmills. Now we're looking at what we call distributed energy systems or distributed energy resources. So somehow the electricity has to be gathered from all of these disparate resources pulled into the grid and then again figured out how it can everybody can get the energy they need by balancing it so there's a lot of there's a lot of different things if you have solar on your house probably that solar feeds just your house but now we have the opportunity to sell excess energy 
back into the grid. So there's a whole different system that has to be created. And we're not ready for that yet. Most systems are not ready. And the not ready, you mean that in the literal physical not ready sense? Literally physical infrastructure is not ready for that. So let's just go to a little bit higher level. So now we know it's, it's, you know, it's power plants, it's transmission lines, it's distribution lines that actually bring it to our house so that we can run our stuff. So the actual, the, the power grid itself, the U.S. power grid is actually not just the U.S. power grid, but it also includes Canada. So it's the Canadian U.S. power oh. grid, and it's composed of three separate grids, only three. The eastern connection, approximately the middle of the country yeah. to the east coast, the western interconnection. we're on. And then Texas? And then the ERCOT connection, also known as the Texas interconnection. They are the only ones that have a separate separate system, and they are not actually regulated by... FERC? Did I get that right? Was it FERC? FERC? Okay. You got that right. Thank you. So they're not actually... They have their own systems, and we'll talk about what went wrong with that system a little bit later. So within each of these three three grids, electricity is generated at several thousand centralized power plants to keep up with the shifting power demands. So residential versus commercial, industrial, and time of day, and weather patterns. Oh my gosh, weather patterns, right? We've seen a whole lot of that this year. Right, because Texas, obviously, that was in inclement weather that they never get, that that sort of led to that break. But uh, what ha- in California during fire season, when PG&E decides they're just going to turn off power because they decided not to upgrade the safety measures, that's the same issue, right? Like, that's the same thing. Yes. And so why these two regions are called interconnections is because at least between East and West, the power the reliability of the power grid is is provided by redundancy. So if one plant goes down, the power shifts to right. another plant. And that so the power continues to be able to right. be generated. Texas is completely separate from that. Texas operates by um, uh, pretty much on natural gas with a little bit of renewable energy, but mostly a natural gas. And it relies completely on individual privatized gas, um, natural gas suppliers. That just so sounds like it a- doesn't regulate. It doesn't it doesn't make sure it there's nothing about the Texas connect interconnection that makes sure that there's a reliable amount of electricity coming um, because they depend totally on the private so market. So Texans, and I mean public Texans or private individuals, not the people at these companies. So Texans are just very, very lucky, frankly, that something like what happened in February did not happen before. It has happened before. It has. 2011. It just 2011. happened? I mean, you and know, they, re- were, they just, were warned. But- they were warned they had to fix their systems and How many people happened. died? 700 people. At least 700 people died. It was a much lower number that the state initially right. put forward as the, gee, I wonder why. So Texas's infrastructure suffered multi-system failure. So it wasn't right. just one thing that, that everything. Just everything started to cascade and broke down. And it was a combination of freezing to death. Some got, I know, monoxide poisoning because they tried to sit in their cars for warmth, which is such right. a heartbreaking, like... And exactly. other people, there was exactly. a lot of deaths that basically it's like people that had pre-existing conditions. There we go again, that old chestnut of the government trying to say because someone has a pre-existing condition, their death is automatically a natural cause. There was a lot of that. Or deaths that people who had heart attacks 
or who the stress made their basically their bodies give out. It's like maybe they were already dying, but they wouldn't have died that day and they wouldn't have died that way. And so for the government to try to pass the and the company, the private company controlling the, for them to try to pass the buck on that and to say it doesn't count. Ghoulish. Ghoulish. It's unacceptable because electricity, access to electricity and heat is a basic, should be a basic right provided by our cities and communities. What caused this? Well, lack of reasonable preparation by ERCOT, the Texas grid Even though operator. a decade ago, they yes. were warned, basically. <laughs> they, that 2011, they were warned, you have to fix it. Their reliance on just-in-time Natural gas operators, like no backup, no storage. Imagine having no fail safe. I can't. And reliance on independent energy operators with no centralized planning. Hello. Yet the governor, Governor Abbott, I don't know if how many of our listeners remember this jewel. Um, <laughs> governor Abbott opined several days into the disaster why the infrastructure failed in this quote, our wind and our solar got shut down and they were collectively more than 10% of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power on a statewide basis. It just shows that fossil fuel is oh, necessary. Yeah, he tried to blame the entire thing on the presence of renewable energy yeah. because that, because the windmills, that makes sense. They froze. They froze, you know. Gee, it's amazing how Holland and Norway and Sweden have these massive wind-driven electrical systems. And for some reason, they have figured out how not to well, have them also, freeze. Well, it's also, if you if you, if you just said that that's only 10% of your grid, where, what is, why did the other 90% fail? It's either poor uh, planning. Precisely. It's either poor planning, which precisely. it was poor planning. Um, hubris, frankly. Because I'm calling this hubris on the part of everyone, basically all the climate change deniers and everyone, all of the Texas officials. And I'm not blaming the average Texan for this because God knows we know most states are purple. And it's a lot of Texans are not voting for these policies and a lot of Texans do not. So they are not to be blamed for what their government does. But Texas is led by these climate change denying um, basically capitalists who have one goal. And that is power and money, baby. They're power invested and in the money. existing and they, infrastructure. Yeah, they don't want. They want. They they get kickbacks from fossil fuel, so of course they want fossil fuel to be the way forward. And frankly, they know they're going to be dead before that. This before any of these bills come due, just because humans only live so long. Although with how fast climate change is moving, maybe not. They might actually have to pay these bills. They talk about these uh, incidents being like a hundred year events. It's quite likely Texas will freeze again next well, that's, year. Yeah, just like fire season starts in May now in California. This is just the way it is. Next, we're going to talk about the other existential threat to our power system. Cybersecurity oh, threats to our energy grid, right? So in 2014, a report from the FERC found that a coordinated attack on as few as nine transform nine key transformers out of 55,000 transformers across the country could cause a collapse of the entire US power grid and a coast to coast blackout. How many did blackout. you say? How many nine key Only transformers nine? out of 55,000 in the country? 
in fact, the Russians and the Chinese are who we are can expect these cyber attacks from. Russia and China are just so, so well suited. They always know exactly where the chinks in the armor are, don't they, with capitalism. They know exactly. And I, I just think that's interesting. I think maybe at some point we as a country should talk about it. All we have to do to take a look at recent history about Russians hacking is the colonial pipeline shutdown right, which we talked about, we've talked about in another episode. They got into the system through subcontractors um, and they actually shut down the accounting systems for Colonial Pipeline. And because and, and who, as we will find out, um, shut it down because they were really concerned that they won't, wouldn't be able to charge their customers appropriately for the uh, go- gas that was distributed. <laughs> Just, you know, we have talked about all of the areas where basically our power grids are not, they're failing. We've talked about the between weather and poor planning and God knows what else, all of the reasons that we have these problems, right? So then that begs the question, is there a solution? What is the solution? Is the solution accessible? Is the solution something that average people can enact? We in America really have to really, really con- reconsider our entire electrical system, how the infra- how our infrastructures are connected, who owns it, who controls it, and making sure that in the future human beings are not access are not denied access to the, this infrastructure because they can't right. afford it because it wasn't for brought any to them um, any reason for any especially reason. a profit driven reason because exactly. it should not be like. I am not opposed to the idea of the government looping in private companies to help run things, but they absolutely have to have a, if you are going to get, if you're going to profit off of a public utility, and if you are going to be subsidized in a major way by the taxpayer for the privilege of doing so, there absolutely need to be certain rules such as you're not allowed to turn it off. You are not allowed to not update your systems Preemptively so has to be ahead off. of time. The answer is not no, to turn it off. That has to be a more people will die if we don't turn it off. That needs to be the decision maker. Right. So to our listeners, please be interested in this subject. Um, the Biden administration is planning, uh, is proposing a massive infrastructure bill that includes building resiliency into our infrastructure. In my opinion, and we will cover this in future episodes in more detail, in my opinion, the answer is local, renewable, distributed energy systems. Bringing it back to local. Solar, wind power generated locally so so that you're actually creating what we call a microgrid a smaller grid that is going to be less susceptible to cybersecurity attacks. Right. It's decentralized and that automatically is going to make it more democratic and it's going to. Right. And more reliable. No. And and better that way, individual communities can also the smaller something is, the faster it can adapt. Right. Is it possible then to sort of as an individual or as a small community to kind of go around the government infrastructure to create your own microgrid? Is that a thing? Is it possible to DIY this is what I'm asking? I don't know. It might, it might not be. How we do it today is we put solar on our roof. So it's really on an individual house by house basis. There's no like 
neighborhoods that are banding together. There's community solar energy. So even if you can't put solar on your own roof, there are communities that are finding empty or, or areas where they can put vast amounts of solar rays on it that can be dedicated to a single community or city or a business. I imagine it's expense. It's pretty expensive to get those. It's still expensive, but it's getting it's getting more reasonable. It's like everything: supply and de- basic supply and demand. It's really inaccessible price wise for a lot of, especially our most disadvantaged communities. Solar. It's still an interesting idea of banding together to create, just create your own community microgrid. And obviously, I don't know what the the mechanics of what actually goes into that are above my head and pay grade today. I will learn more. I will research and I will learn. But I just think that's really interesting and it could be cool. Those types of organizations are actually coming together. So today in the Bay Area, we have a number of organizations called Community Choice Aggregation. That's a fun. It's a funny way of saying, "Hey, how about if we all get together outside of PG&E and decide to source all of our energy from clean sources, and we'll, in fact, we'll sell that to our customers, and we'll use PG&E transmission lines, um, but we're actually going to sell clean energy to our customers, and we think we can do it for less money than what PG&E, for example, in California charges." So in in San Leandro, we have we belong to a consortium of I think eight or nine different counties called East Bay Clean Energy. So what that does is it sources increasingly, its goal is to source local, clean, renewable energy and provide that to our nine different counties in the area. How does PG&E feel about that? PG&E did not like that, but our (laughs) California regulator said, too bad, we need alternatives. We're going to talk more about that in the future because this is really, really important. This is how community takes back. I'm all for it. The rights. And so, and it's happening here, but trouble is too many people can still opt out of it. But but nevertheless, uh, this is proving to be a huge... um, a huge benefit to our to the Bay Area, these different community choice aggregation organizations that are insisting that energy be clean, local. Not only that, but because of that, it creates local jobs. Of course. So it's it's again, it's an economic development effort too. It benefits us all right. the way no, around. No, I mean it seems like a win-win-win to me. So we'll be talking about in future shows, we'll be talking about there's a lot of different energy um, solutions that are happening on a, gosh, it's almost like on a monthly. (laughs) Yeah, things keep changing, don't they? Entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, this is a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs to to really uh, use their imagination, start connecting the dots in ways that we haven't imagined. So I really want our young listeners to, to understand that as discouraging as it may feel, there's huge opportunities out there. There's huge opportunities to take the matters into our own hands and to create the future that we want for ourselves and for our children and grandchildren. Wow. That was a very poignant, that was a, that was a very poignant way to wrap that up. I'm kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> it's how I'm I feel like I'm, it's what I believe. I, I think she said that probably better than better than I would have. But that was the conclusion of our first dive into electrical infrastructure. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. We will be back next time to talk about some other incredibly complicated, smart issue that's impacting all of us, I have no doubt. In the meantime, if you wanted to head over to our Patreon 
and go ahead. Just, 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 just a little bit. Just, just give us like, you know, just, just hit the I want to become a patron button and just, 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 you know, lots of extra content, lots of uh, outtakes, full length interviews, bonus features and other fun things that are secret unless you become a patron. And plus, isn't Anna so cute? You just really want to watch more and more of her. So, so anyway, uh, yeah, we have been Smart City Diaries. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Peace. Bye. Bye.